turning God's Word tonight to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For those of you who are visiting with us tonight, uh, we are uh, making our way through 2 Corinthians. So there is a little bit of background that has gone into this that uh, you might want to go home and read those first six chapters uh, to, to kind of refresh your own memory, to catch back up what has happened, what has transpired, what has Paul said uh, to these Corinthians. But this letter, as I've mentioned before, is a follow-up to his first letter. And much of what is happening here in 2 Corinthians is in regards to that first letter. Paul established this church, obviously through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, on, on one of his missionary journeys. He spent time there. He spent, I believe, about a year and a half there in Corinth, building up, strengthening this church. Then he left. And uh, after he left, there were others who came, and Paul began to get reports about what was going on in Corinth. And there was confusion uh, about some theological matters. There was confusion about some practical matters. There were those who were trying to to take the church of Corinth in a different direction uh, from true, pure Christianity, from the gospel, back to a legalism. And uh, Paul writes that, that first letter to the Corinthians to correct all of these many issues, the divisions that were there, the, the poor theology, the, the bad discipline that was taking place. And, and, he, and he hits them pretty hard. First Corinthians is a very hard-hitting letter. But it produced a good effect. Now, after that letter has been sent, Paul hesitates about going back to Corinth. And in his own hesitation of going back, he receives word particularly from from another co-worker by the name of Titus, who has reported that not only did the Corinthians receive the letter, but that good changes came about and that the church of Corinth was, was taking the words of God through Paul in that first letter seriously. Paul is now responding to that. He's dealing with that. And we've been covering many of those topics, but here in the seventh chapter, it kind of comes even more into focus. We see Paul's heart encouraged. We see Paul's heart strengthened. We see Paul's heart full of joy. We see Paul being comforted. And so that's our theme for tonight comfort. We pick it up at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before, if you are in our hearts, die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you, I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear within. 
But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. And he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Amen. We believe in providence. Those of you visiting who may not know what that means, we mean that we mean by providence that God has a plan for everything that occurs. At a sermon all set for last Sunday night, him selected for last Sunday night. We had a worship service plan. God sent a snowstorm. Made it virtually impossible for West Michigan to move around. It wasn't until like 9, 10 o'clock that they even plowed Arthur. Uh, the next morning, 9, 10 o'clock Monday morning, would have been pretty dangerous to be out there last Sunday night. And I, I think you know me well enough that I don't like those Sundays. I don't like that call. I don't like making that decision. And yet in God's providence... That's where we were at. 
So last Sunday night sermon is this Sunday night sermon. And as I've reflected upon that over the week, you begin to see God's hand. You begin to see God at work. You begin to see, Bob, that was not last week's sermons. That was supposed to be this Sunday's sermon. So please, as you hear tonight, as you hear this word of the Lord, hear it through the providence of God, that, that in some way it was God who desired that this message be preached at this profession of faith. And it, don't you find it interesting and curious that the three young women who have professed their faith tonight, Emily, Cassie, and Casey, all chose Bible passages as the most meaningful passages out of Scripture for their own life walk that deal with God's comfort, God's strength, God's provision. Each one of them chose a hymn that deals with God's comfort, God's provision, God's care. And what is the passage we have before us? God's comfort. God's comfort. And so let us, in the providences of God, hear God speak to us. Two major points tonight. First of all, that God's comfort is found in other believers. Secondly, that God's comfort is found despite our circumstances. One, it's found in other believers. Two, it's found despite our circumstances. You know, and perhaps we need to just stop and pull back and first of all say, okay, we're going to talk about comfort. What do we mean by that? Well, we know that when Christ was upon this earth, he told his disciples that when he left, he was going to send them the comforter. He was going to send them the counselor. He was going to send the Holy Spirit. So we have to understand that that part of of our understanding of comfort is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And when you take the word comfort and and kind of break it down and figure out, well, what what is the meaning of this in Greek? What, What you get is two ideas. Comfort means to be encouraged. Comfort means to be consoled. The Holy Spirit comes as the one who is our encourager. The Holy Spirit comes as the one who is our consoler. Who leads us and guides us in the midst of of our discouragements of life back to the truth. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads us back to the truth that The Lord is my strength. It is He who lifts me up unto the height. It is the Lord who has plans for me, plans to bless. And it is the Lord who is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, I can be still and know that He is God. Paul experienced here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that comfort of the Holy Spirit, that work of the Holy Spirit, that work that that comes and and the Holy Spirit uses fellow believers to be that encouragement, to be that consoler, 
in spite of the circumstances of our life, Paul found comfort. And the comfort that Paul found is the same comfort, brother and sister in Christ, that I trust you have, or at least I can say is available to you. For those of you who who may not be walking with Christ at this moment, listen, listen to what it is that a believer possesses, what it is that a believer has in their heart and in their life. Comfort. Paul says, first of all, note with me verse 4. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Where does that comfort come from? It comes from from the Corinthians. Paul is looking at this situation and saying, I have found comfort in you, in you Corinthians. You have been an encouragement to me. I wasn't sure where things were going in our relationship. I wasn't sure where you were with the Lord. I wasn't sure where your church was and what was happening. But now that I have heard the report from Titus, my heart is encouraged. My heart is is comforted by you. You have become a source of encouragement to me. See, every believer, as I mentioned this morning, every believer is part of Christ's body. Wherever you and I go, we go in the name of Christ. We are part of Christ's body. So when you and I encourage others, those of you who are the hand, use that hand to support, uphold, and to strengthen someone else. When you use that hand to serve someone else, they're encouraged. They're strengthened. They're comforted. They're consoled. When those of you who are the feet of Christ use those feet to go the extra mile, when you use those feet to to run to their bed, They're sick and ill. When you use those feet to go to visit the lonely, the discouraged, what are you? You are the comfort of Christ. See, that's what Paul is saying here. These Corinthians, as the body of Christ, and remember, they're the ones who Paul wrote that letter to, that word to, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You are the body of Christ. Each of you is a part of it. Now Paul on the other side of this is looking and saying, and you're functioning as the body of Christ, and when you function as the body of Christ, that is an encouragement to me. My own heart, my own soul is built up and strengthened. Why? Because they've been disobedient? Because they're unfaithful? No, exactly the opposite, as Paul is writing here in this chapter. He's saying it's, it's, it's the opposite of that. You're following the Lord. You're living obedient lives. That's an encouragement 
When we do that which God desires for us to do, when we live obediently before the Lord, when we follow His word, when we follow His commands, when we follow His truth, you know what happens? We encourage, we comfort other believers. Let me give you an example of that. We've had five young people stand just today. Becky and Daniel, Emily, Cassie and Casey. Five young people stand today and profess their faith. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are discouraged by five of our young people professing their faith? See, nobody's discouraged by that. Are we encouraged by that? Are we comforted by that? Of course we are. Why? Because they're doing that which God's Word asks of them. Confess me before men. Acknowledge me before individuals. They did so. They've stood. They've made that acknowledgement. And our hearts are encouraged. But moms and dads' hearts are encouraged. Brothers and sisters' hearts are encouraged. Grandpas and grandmas' hearts are encouraged. Elders' hearts are encouraged. The body of Christ is encouraged. As individual believers, we are encouraged. See, in many respects, those five of you who made that profession of faith, you're doing Exactly what Paul talked about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You are being an encouragement. You have heard the word of the Lord. You have repented of your sin. You have acknowledged Christ. And you are seeking to live obediently by that word. Paul says, oh, Corinthians, you encourage me. I am comforted by you all. You encourage me. Paul said of them. See, but it's not only these five young people. We're an encouragement to each other. Your presence on a somewhat snowy Sunday night as a congregation, what does that do? Does that discourage us? We go, oh man, so many people in church on a Sunday night. Oh, that's disgusting. Wow, pretty neat, pretty interesting. I would imagine there are some visitors here who haven't seen a church this full on a Sunday night in years. What does that do? That's an encouragement. It encourages one another. It encourages me. It encourages the elders. It encourages the deacons. It encourages young families that are seeking to train their children up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. When we all work together on Bethlehem Alive and and we have those 135 plus now individuals who have come together to work, what does that do? Does that discourage us? Say, man, so many people working to to pull off Bethlehem Alive. No, that's an encouragement. Why? Because we're seeking to be obedient to that which the Word said. Go out. Let others know the glorious good news. 
of Jesus Christ. Here we are seeking to be obedient, each of us doing our part. And what happens? We're encouraged. Encouraged by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Three don't know how, how joyous this event is in the hearts of those sitting around you in this auditorium this evening. You are a blessing beyond blessing. Because we know this is the work of God's grace. We see His faithfulness on display once again. We go home with our hearts lifted up, our hearts encouraged. Because you stood and professed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's an encouragement to the whole body. Even as Paul was encouraged here by the obedience of the Corinthians. Paul also speaks in this passage about being encouraged, being comforted, even in tough times. Look at the end of 4. Just after saying, I am filled with comfort, Paul writes, in all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear within. But Paul has summarized, in a sense, in, in one sentence, life. Life. Sometimes get discouraged. Of course we do. Paul got discouraged. Why? Well, the circumstances that Paul is dealing with led him to be discouraged. Paul's body. See, that's what he's dealing with. His body. Our bodies had no rest. Externally, outside, fighting is taking place. There are adversaries, there are fights, there are arguments that disturb the shalom that God desires to bring. You remember the passage we had this morning? Remember where we were? What happens to the one who, who is a follower of, of Jesus Christ? One becomes a target and an object of warfare by Satan who seeks to bring down, who seeks to destroy, who seeks to bring disruption, anything but shalom. Christ reminded us this morning that, that when He comes, when He came, that this would not be a time, and His coming would not be a time of peace and harmony. Oh, He brings spiritual peace. He brings peace between ourselves and God. See, when Scriptures are talking about the fact that, that He's the Prince of Peace... It's talking about our relationship with God. That's what He did come to do. He did come to bring that shalom, that peace, to reconcile us with God. Sinful man reconciled with a holy God in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. But in terms of life, His coming brings nothing but division. 
Paul. He's out there on the point. He's the point man of missions of the early church. Wherever he goes, there's always strife. There's always, as he puts it here, fighting without. There's always those Jews in the synagogue who want to toss him out, have nothing to do with them. There's always those Greeks who are laughing and snickering at him, thinking he's some fool. He himself admits to the fact that he, that he isn't very eloquent, that he doesn't speak very well. He's got some sort of thorn in the flesh that, that limits his abilities in some way. And wherever he goes, there's, there's all there are of people who want to argue with him. All there are of people who want to fight with him. They want to take the words of the gospel. They want to take the words that that God gives to him, that he preaches. And all they want to do is fight and argue. Paul says, outside, my body is a fight. Think of the number of times Paul is in prison. Think of the number of times Paul is beaten. For the sake of the gospel, In all our affliction, verse 4, I am overflowing with joy. You see, not only is there items to be dealt with outside, look at the end of verse 5. Fighting without and fear within. Boy, do we get a look into the heart of the Apostle Paul. Paul is, is, as it were, doing open heart surgery here for these Corinthians. It's as if he's taking that knife, opening himself up and saying, look at my heart. Here's who I am. (laughs) I'm this missionary, but man, I'm I'm a beaten up man. From all the adversaries, from all the enemies, from all the problems outside. But truth be known, if you saw my heart, Paul says you'd see a heart that's filled with fear. You know, understand this is the man who tells us In God's word, the great promises of God, the great blessings of God. This is the man who who the Holy Spirit used to write Romans chapter 8. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. This is the man who wrote that in all things God is working to conform us to the glorious image of Christ. But if you look at Paul's heart, heart. Still the heart of a human man. A heart sinful, yes, but fearful too. Paul's fear comes into Macedonia. He's got fear within. You know, you know what's eating at Paul? First Corinthians. That's what's eaten at Paul. He wrote it. He penned it. He sent it off. And for a long time, he was second-guessing himself. Should I have sent it? You and I probably do that on a number of occasions for much worse reasons. We probably have written an email 
push send. And then looked back at it and thought, I shouldn't have sent that. Is not a good way to put that. I know that's going to be misinterpreted. Paul sent the letter. He can't take it back. And now in his heart, it's, was I too harsh? Was I, was I too blunt with them? Did I call them on the carpet a little too hard? Not only is he he concerned about that letter, but he's also concerned about Titus. Titus is there, and he's been wondering, and he's writing this in retrospect, and he's telling them, this is is what was going on in my mind. This is is what I was thinking before Titus came to me and told me what had taken place. I was worried, how were they going to treat you? I had sent them this letter, and and you're my representative there. How are they going to treat you? How are they going to handle you? What are they going to do to you? What about other believers who who are saying this is the word of the Lord? They got the letter and said this is what we need to do. What are the rest of you there in Corinth doing to them? Are you treating them fairly? Corinth was a pretty uproarious place. When, When Paul first got there and started preaching, the Jews haul out the guy who was the leader of the synagogue, beat him up and throw him out. People are on it edge it's got fears did I do the right thing how are they treating Titus how are, how are the other believers faring for even when we came into Macedonia our bodies had no rest but we were afflicted at every turn fighting without and fear within and then comes again the two most beautiful words in all of Scripture. But God. But God. It's always a signal to you as you read God's Word, something that you do not expect is going to take place. Something that, that they, you know, Paul is filled with all of these human wonderings and questionings and fears and, and wondering where it's all going to go. And, he, and he's painting the dark path. He's thinking about the worst possible scenario, not unlike most of us. But God, God is now going to act. God is going to do something. God is going to be in control. God is going to speak. God is going to come in grace. God is going to come in mercy. God is going to come as the refuge and strength. God is going to come with His plans that He has made. God is going to come and be the one who lifts Paul up upon the mountains. But God, what does God do? What is it, Pastor? Verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast. There's the first thing that God does. God comforts the downcast. God never forsakes the downcast. God's eye is always on His children. Those who are brought low. Those who are worn out. Those Paul, those God looks after. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 49. 
Isaiah 49. Verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Why the joy? Why the singing? Think about it before I read the next part. Why do the heavens at the birth of Christ break forth into singing through the angels? Why does that happen? Think about the announcement for to you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. Some versions use the word downcast there. Rejoice. Why? Because God always comes to shepherds. the downcast of society. God's grace always reaches the lowest depths. God's grace always comes into the midst of the blackness of life. If God can come into the blackness of my sin with His grace, certainly God can come into the blackness my despair. See, and that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, this is where I was. But God, but God, God who comforts the downcast. This is what God is an expert at. The word reminds us over and over that God lifts up the lowly. What was true religion, according to James? But to lift up the downcast, the widow, and the orphan. This is what God does. And Paul is saying, that's what God did for me. I was downcast, verse 5. But God, but God comforted me because God comes to those who are the downcast. He doesn't toss them away. He comes. He comes in His grace. He comes with His spirit. He comes with comfort. He comes with His counsel. He comes and encourages. How was Paul encouraged by God here? Listen to the rest of 6. Follow with me. The God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Wait a minute. I I thought we were going to read some great exceptional thing. Well, in some respects, it is a great exceptional thing. But in other respects, it's seemingly kind of ordinary. Oh, no. No, it isn't. Because here comes Titus, who is what? Part of the body of Christ. And as part of the body of Christ, here comes Titus to what? To do the work of Christ, which is what? To comfort the downcast. 
See, so often, my friends, when we get to these points, we're going, Lord, show me in the clouds. Kind of write some words up there, would you? Turn a rainbow upside down so it brightens my day. Come on, Lord, act. Meanwhile, the Lord is bringing person after person after person across our path, and he says, I am, I am, I am. Here they are, the body of Christ. They're my encouragement to you. See, Paul sees it. Paul gets it. His encouragement, his comfort from the Lord. It's the fact that Titus came. And what did Titus do? Titus brought him news of the Corinthians. And what is the news of the Corinthians? Paul, they've repented. Paul, they've turned. Paul, they disciplined the guy you wanted them to discipline. Paul, so many of the theological problems you raised, they're they're following you. They're, They're listening to the voice of the Lord. something I guess it wasn't so bad in fact hearing from Titus it's downright good in fact it's an absolute blessing it's a joy did you just hear Paul when Titus walks in that day and says Paul Paul you'll never guess listen listen the letter you wrote to the Corinthians man it had a powerful effect oh no 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 Paul not for bad no they don't hate you no Paul they love you Thank you, Lord, for your comfort of the downcast. But it's not only the coming of Titus. Now listen to how this works. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming, so not only the news he got from Titus, but also by the comfort of with which he was comforted by you. Remember one of Paul's concerns? I wonder how they're treating my friend Titus. I wonder how they're treating him. Titus comes back and he says, Paul, they treated me wonderfully. The Corinthians were so respectful. They were so generous. They were so giving. They were so loving. Now what does that do to Paul? Paul's comforted. Did he receive any of that love and affection of the Corinthians? Well, not directly. They loved and were generous and respectful of Titus. And Paul is comforted by the way they treated Titus. See, sometimes it's not all about us. Sometimes it's not all about how we directly get something. Sometimes God comes with his comfort and says, look what I'm doing over there. 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 Be encouraged. My spirit is at work in people. My spirit is at work in the lives of believers. Comfort from comfort, we could say. But there is a fourth reason. And we'll leave it here. I'm going to touch on it. it, Because it needs to be touched on. But actually, I'm, I'm leaving the bulk of it, Lord willing, for next Sunday night. Part of Paul's comfort is found in the fact that the Corinthians were grieved. What was happening in the Corinthian church when Paul first wrote that first letter 
was sinful. Now, Paul could have danced his way around it. But through inspiration of the Spirit, who is the Comforter, Paul met them dead on. He confronted them with their sin. And they were grieved. a better reaction. There couldn't, be a, there couldn't be something that could give me more comfort and encouragement than to know that you were grieved by your sin. Do you confess? Was asked of Emily, Cassie, and Casey, do you confess that because of your sinfulness you abhor and humble yourself before God? Do you confess that God's Word has declared you and named you a sinner? Do you confess that? Do you confess that you're looking your salvation, not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ alone. What did we hear? I do. I do. I do. We've heard it five times today. I do. What does that do? They've been grieved. They've been cut to the heart by the truth of God's Word. And what does that bring us? brings us comfort because we know that until you get to that point, until you acknowledge your sin and look to Christ, there is no salvation. They have. Becky and Daniel have. Each one of you as a believer in Christ has made that statement. By our grieving over our sin, God comforts us in Christ. This has been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the encouragement these five young people have been in. The young people who professed their faith a few weeks ago and the baptisms we've had over the course of the last year. Lord, you have been a great encouragement to us through the work of your Holy Spirit in lives. Lord, thank you for that blessing. But Father, it's not only in those baptisms, it's not only in those professions of faith, it's the individual sitting next to us, it's the individual in front of us, behind us, it's the individuals who we've worked together, who we pray together with, who we study God's Word together with, who we serve on committees with, who we serve as deacons or elders with, who we come to worship together with. Lord, you use each one of us as a part of the body of Christ to encourage us. We thank you. We thank you that you are the God of the downcast. In Christ's glorious name we pray and God's people say, Amen.